Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor with a master's in child studies, and I'm the founder of Multilingual Montessori. You can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and at multilingualmontessori.org. Today I'm speaking with Laura, Megan, and Rachel, three trained Montessori guides and new mothers who are the hosts of the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast. Between the three of them, they are trained in Montessori education for ages birth through 12 years old. Their podcast aims to serve caregivers who want to learn more about the Montessori philosophy, but also want a bit of lightheartedness and realness when it comes to the ups and downs of parenting. In this conversation, we talk about how Laura, Megan, and Rachel all got their start as Montessori educators, how they met each other, and how they decided to start the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast. We discuss how having their own children changed their approach to Montessori in their own families, parenting with partners who are learning about Montessori, and of course, their biggest takeaways from their first year as podcasters. We recorded this episode all the way back in February, right after their one-year podcasting anniversary and right before Laura gave birth to her second child. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Laura, Megan, and Rachel. Hi, Rachel, Megan, and Laura. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori Podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. We've never been a guest before. Yay, I'm so excited to chat with you. So I was on your podcast uh, several Mm -hmm. months ago, and I'm really, really excited to have you on my podcast today. Now it's just chatting with old friends. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. To start, I would love for each of you to introduce yourself. Tell us your name, about your family, and what age level you teach. Okay, I'll kick it off. So I am Laura. I'm a mother of one currently, but soon to be mother of two, like really soon. Really soon. Guys. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. <laughs> kind of freaking out. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally ready and totally calm and confident about it. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I, I do have my Montessori training and that is in lower and upper elementary. So that's ages six to 12. My name is Megan. I am a mother of two toddlers. Um, I have my training in lower elementary, ages six to nine, and I am also currently working on my primary training, ages three to six, and I'm kind of in the thick of it right now and will be done here within the next few months, and I'm really, really excited about that. So one more training. They're addicting. They really they are. Really are. <laughs> yeah. If you're a masochist. Yeah. <laughs> And I am Rachel. I'm mother of two. I have a nine-month-old, oh my gosh, nine months now, and a three-year-old with my Montessori training and infant toddler, which is birth to three years old. So you all have the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast. So I'd love to hear how you first found out about Montessori education and what drew you to Montessori. Well, each of us kind of found Montessori in different ways, but none of us went to Montessori schools as children. And I personally, after college, I wasn't sure really what I wanted to do next. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher, but the traditional education system really didn't speak to me. And I wasn't really excited about going to get a license. And I was kind of dragging my feet and procrastinating of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I decided to substitute teach. I was like, okay, I'll just try it out, see how I like it for a local preschool. And funny story, the reason I went to that preschool was because no one else called me back. (laughs) So it just kind of was fate, it feels like. And it ended up being a Montessori school. And I had no idea what Montessori was and what what I was about to walk into. But on that first day when I walked in, I was shocked. There were just, there were children doing cooking and cleaning and ironing and working on small mats on the floor with colorful materials. And I I genuinely had no idea what I was looking at, but I knew that whatever it was, like I wanted in. 
I wanted to be there and I was super excited about it. And I can't tell you what exactly it was that drew me in, but it just felt like this, this is what school's supposed to be. Like, this is what it's supposed to be like. And yeah, I mean, after that, I jumped headfirst into training um, for elementary and I I really couldn't get enough. And now I'm still working on my second certification and I still can't get enough all these years later. So um, it's really a love for me, not just in my career, but in my family as well. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, it totally is addicting, the certifications. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm interested, just a quick sidebar, what um, – so I know that in the elementary training, there's like a little three to six overview. Yeah. What was that like compared to everything that you've been doing now in the full three to six training? Like I mean, how much is overlap and how much is, of course, a lot of new information? So we were just talking about this on our last episode on our podcast, is that there is quite an overlap um, in especially, well, really all of the um, – all of the areas other than practical life. And it's really, really cool because I feel like the way that it's designed is, you know, those six-year-olds are starting to kind of change over into that second plane. And as a primary teacher, you have to be prepared for that shift. And it's just such a natural progression from primary to lower elementary, because as a lower elementary teacher, you are ready to receive those children and meet them wherever they are, wherever they came from. So it actually is a beautiful, seamless transition as far as um, training goes. And, And the training does overlap quite a bit. That overview is so important because the flip side of that coin is you can get a six-year-old coming into your lower L class that has not fully stepped out of that plane of development or is straddling the plane. That happens for like a good chunk of months a lot of times the beginning of the year is you get someone who is almost ready to fully be an LE but they're still kind of holding on to a lot of those children's house tendencies so having that overview of where they're at developmentally and also what materials and concepts they have seen how to reinforce them what maybe you need to circle back to and get off the shelf before you're ready to move to some of those more intense LE materials is really important. Now, mine was only about a week's worth of time. So it was like really condensed, crammed with information, but so, so, so helpful and valuable to once I was actually in a classroom, like, wow, I'm really glad I, yeah. I got that overview. But I think I had a little bit of an advantage too, which when I get to my story, I'll explain. I had at least been in, in classrooms and seen children's house classrooms. And I can't imagine how much more overwhelming it would have been to have only one week to get that overview um, and then be like thrown to the wolves, you know? So, but yeah, but even a lot of the materials, they really do overlap. Like you, we would start um, with golden beads in lower elementary and you're trained on, on how to present those. And you also give them in children's house primary. So you're, you are trained for both or for example, the construction triangles, you would have both in both trainings. So you're mm-hmm. able to either continue on what a child has been working on or introduce it if they didn't get that far in mm-hmm. in primary. So it really is cool how, how that's designed. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see how Montessorians end up getting their like zero through adolescent training (laughs) over the course of their careers because it's it's just fascinating um well let's let's keep going with introductions sorry i hijacked your introduction um we do it all the time time. (laughs) so i came across the philosophy in one of my college courses um it like very briefly touched on it but definitely left me interested um so i actually started my student teaching in fourth grade i was the person who was like I want to teach kindergarten. And of course I get placed in like a fourth grade classroom. They did that on purpose to me, I believe. But anyways, (laughs) it was at a Montessori magnet school. Um, And so I realized even more than how intrigued I was in the philosophy and wanted to learn more, but the school was not actually really true to the philosophy because it was, um, it's like, you know, a public magnet. So there's state mandates and testing and stuff. So um, they weren't really truly following that method, but 
through that, I realized I did not want to be in a traditional setting. So after graduating, I applied to like, I think every accredited Montessori school within like around here, um, even green, even out like to Greensboro, I applied to those places. And um, I got a job really close to where I lived. And um, it was a permanent sub job um, and a toddler aftercare teacher. And Laura was my mentor. <laughs> Woohoo! Permanent uh, subs. Yeah, permanent <laughs> subs. It's so like I, Navy SEAL training, if I'm honest is. with you. So it's it was part- kind of an honor to serve with Rachel. Well, like just a little bit ahead of Rachel, but be a part of that experience with Rachel because I knew the madness that she was experiencing <laughs> yeah. every day. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to be like in all the classrooms. I So I was, if I wasn't booked subbing, I was more usually in the toddler environment though just because they always needed extra hands so I kind of just put myself like in their area and would just pop in if they needed somebody and I was doing toddler aftercare too so I I became part of the team and through that I was like okay I have to like I want my training I have to get in on this and I got lucky enough that a a lead teacher from the team was leaving and the team had kind of already vetted me and worked with me throughout that year. And they were like, we want Rachel to fill the spot. So I went to training that summer and the rest is history. And just like Megan, I mean, this is our life now. Like, this is what I do with my children. This And it's um, helped me be a better mom. So I'm yeah. embarrassed to say that I didn't even know that, Rachel. Really? I didn't even know that certain no. <laughs> we don't really talk about like you know, we don't really, we never haven't had like an origin story um, episode on Maybe our we should. Maybe we should. should. Or just, you know, come over to Multilingual Montessori for the inside For scoop. the origin story. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Our origin story. <laughs> well, and this is not relevant to anyone else, but the year that you both started was a really crazy year in the culture, this like in the school that we were at. So I don't think there was even time to like... focus on stuff like that but uh that's great I'm really glad that you got to hear that Megan (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know who you are Rachel (laughs) (laughs) um and Laura how about you what's your Montessori origin story well so just like the other two ladies I did not grow up in any kind of Montessori setting. I actually grew up in the Northeast where the traditional school, like the public schools are, you know, considered very strong. There's not a lot of alternative schools in the area. And if they are, they're definitely like private schools or just really tiny things that I just had never, ever even heard the name Montessori in my entire life. And then I was in college um, in the Boston area and I was invited to help on a field trip, they were going apple picking. It was my friends, my best friend's mom's children's house class. And I stepped into that classroom and I vividly remember to this day being just floored, just like Megan describing stepping into the, was it a children's house classroom that you stepped into Megan? Yeah. Just like these, these little people doing these extraordinary things. I had never seen such a cool looking classroom all the kids were just moving freely around it. I now realize I probably was arriving at the end of work cycle, right? So like I got to see just a classroom set up in a way I had never seen before. And just the whole vibe was just incredible. They were so well behaved, especially on the field trip, which should have been like a super dysregulating thing. Like I was ready for the chaos, right? Like I was like, I like kids. This will be great. They're three through six. Oh yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be wild, but it'll be a fun day. They were amazing. So I was like, what is this magic? What is this sorcery? (laughs) And my friend had told me that her mom worked at this different kind of school um, and that she herself had attended it as a kid. And she felt really lucky that she had been able to do that. But I had I still, you know, never looked into it until after I was walking out of there. So all I knew is it was a private school. I knew nothing about the philosophy. And it was actually a good couple of years later that I moved down to this area that we're all in now. I followed a boy. And on my way to the job that I first landed when I got here, I had to drive past this beautiful little Montessori school every day on my way to this job. And so it put that word Montessori back in my head. So I did some more Googling while I was at my other job, sitting at my desk, (laughs) looking up Montessori, what is this? And um, 
I slowly but surely decided that this was something that everyone should know about, everyone should have access to, and it was something that I wanted to be trained in. So through the Googling, I saw that you have to, at some point in your training, you you know, you become part of a practicum experience where you like, you know, practice, teach in a classroom, you're probably not going to get paid for it, blah, blah, blah. You have to find a local school that will let you do that. So one day I literally just drove in, I just pulled in to this school and walked into the front office and walked up to the front desk and was like, hi, my name's Laura. I will be back someday for a practicum. I don't know when because I can't afford the training right now, but I just want to put like a name with a face because you're going to get an email from me at some point and I just feel like I need to be here. It was one of like the ballsiest things I've ever done. I have no idea to this day why I did it, but I did it and it totally worked out for me because they ended up actually the the very sweet lady at the desk went and grabbed the curriculum coordinator at the time who grabbed the head of school who had this like totally impromptu conversation with me that turns out was basically an interview. And a couple days later, she emailed me and asked if I wanted to come be, at that time, the very first ever permanent sub on that campus. I wasn't trained to be a teacher, so she couldn't put me in a classroom classroom, but she could kind of let me get my feet wet. And that was such a gift because it allowed me to see the entire philosophy from toddler up through, at that time, we had ninth grade. And throughout, throughout that whole first year at that school, I was in every single classroom and I got to see how the whole thing unfolded. And of course, I knew very little of what I really was truly looking at, but I was, you know, it's sort of like, sort of like learning a language when you're just fully immersed, right? It's one of the best ways to learn. So, and I was really fortunate to have some teachers who did take the time to not just see me as like a warm body filling in that day, but actually explain to me like what was going on on those shelves and why they were in that order and what the kids were doing. And it was just amazing. And by the end of that year, I was given an offer similarly to Rachel. There was a, a lead um, lower L teacher leaving. And so the head of school offered to put me in that classroom as long as I was willing to start the training right away which the school was willing to pay for at that time. And that was the only way I would have been able to financially swing something like that because I was on a substitute teacher salary, like that barely covered my undergrad loans. So there's no way I was taking on a training program. So of course I was like, where do I sign? Yes, absolutely. And that was 10 years ago now. So it was the best decision that I ever could have made because even though if you've listened to our podcast, you know that this year I did pivot into a very different career but the amount of knowledge and experience that it has allowed me to bring into my parenthood journey is incredible. Like I, I still say, Megan, exactly what you said. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Like I'm still open to whatever comes my way, but I always knew I wanted to be a mom. So again, just the knowledge and experience that I've been fortunate to bring into the most important, most coveted job I've ever had is genuinely invaluable to me. Oh, I love that. Um, that leads in so nicely to my next question. Um, I always wonder, so I, I'm not a parent myself, but I have worked with so many children and so many parents. And I always ask guests who are trained Montessorians and also parents, did how you think about or approach Montessori change once you became a mom? And um, what was surprising when you became a parent after having worked with children? You know, um, I think being a mom and practicing the approach at home is like even the, a more rewarding feeling. It's like the most rewarding feeling that I have. I mean, it's my joy right now in my life. Um, after guiding your child and setting them up in ways they can be independent, it just makes me, it makes us believe, I think, in the philosophy even more. Um, and I see the importance of the philosophy even more. I think after becoming a mom, um, one change I have to say is that it's it's not as perfect as it is in the classroom, right? So, you you know, I don't have all the materials at home. I don't have all the, um, I, my environment is set up, but your environment may not necessarily be set up like a classroom kind of thing. And life is busy. <laughs> we're tired. This is like, we're real, us three, we're real moms. This is why we started the podcast. And, um, but the philosophy focus on, focuses on the respect of the child and treating them just as you would treat an adult. And this is that's like always, always, always been so important to me is treating them just like I would treat 
you or Megan or anybody else. Um, but then you especially, like, you want that for your own child, even more than all the children in your classroom that you love and care for, of course. But there's just something, like, even more about it's your kids. Um, but on the other hand, like, it is, it, it, let's see. Um, on the other hand, it's, like, trickier, too, right? Because I feel like when you're in a classroom environment and we're surrounded by Montessorians, we're at a Montessori school and it's everybody around you is like, all live, breathe this. But when you're a mom and maybe your whole circle doesn't live and breathe the Montessori philosophy. Um, so that's also tricky in its own way of um, you can model and, you you know, you kind of have to stand up. I know we've talked about this many times. All three of us has, have kind of had to put our foot down and be like, no, this is actually how we we kind of want to do it. Um, so it's tricky in that sense too, but it's so rewarding. And I think, um, it just, I have this bigger, even appreciation for it now. And I'm so grateful I got to go to the training. Um, and I've had, and I have this experience because it's only made me a better mom. I I think, I mean, I think we would all, all three of us would say that. Rachel, when you said like, it's different in the classroom, because I was sitting here thinking, I don't think it really changed my opinion or my perspective as a teacher but you know what it did because I realized that when it's your kid like you have them for three years in the Montessori um, philosophy it's a three-year rotation which is amazing right you really get to know them you truly love them and it feels like your kid but then you have your own kid and you're like oh that is even more intense like that really feels different and so I get now like I have more empathy for the parents that I you know, you hear the term helicopter parents, you I feel like I had a lot of conversations with parents about like not trying to fight every battle for their kid and not trying to save them from every failure and why it was so important to let them experience all these hard things. And now I get it. I get why it's so hard as a parent to let those things happen and to trust that process. But it definitely way more changed how I ever would have parented a child. Like if I had had my kids before being involved in this philosophy and especially after all those years of seeing it in action and practicing it in the classroom, I absolutely would have been a very different parent. I would have handled things differently from discipline all the way up to language. I probably would have been the person with flashcards and quizzes and things like I just, (laughs) I just didn't, I never would have known how much I know now. And just Rachel's one major point about respect for the child and the way that it completely changes your language with them and the way that you react to every single situation. I mean, that right there is huge, hugely has shaped how I parent. I feel like that was a lot of the kind of why we chose Montessori Moms in the Wild. Like the name was that as teachers, you know, we, we create this beautiful environment and we have these lessons that we follow and kind of this rule book almost of how we interact with the children in certain situations and, and what we're presenting to them. And then all of a sudden you're a parent and we were like, it's like Montessori, but like in the wild, like there are no rules anymore. You know, there's not this structured time. There's no break. Like like Rachel said, you're tired and and it's not beautiful all the time. And like she said, I think that it it really has for me solidified the philosophy behind it because it's so easy to kind of go through your day as a teacher and just kind of get into the groove of you know, the presentations and the materials, but to step out of it into the wild, (laughs) as we call it, and really have to really have to understand and own the philosophy as we're trying to raise peaceful, loving, caring, community-minded people who we're responsible for. It really, I think it's become so much more of a lifestyle than just a, like, educational pedagogy. So, yeah. If you can't tell, we're fully entrenched. Like we, we, we're here. <laughs> we drank the Kool-Aid. Okay. Um, 
tell me a bit about how the idea for the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast came about and also how you all know each other. I know you uh, told us a little bit before about how Rachel and Laura met each other, but I'd love to hear how you all met each other and, and how the idea for the podcast came about. So we all worked at the same Montessori school. Um, Rachel and I live in the same town that this Montessori school is in. Megan is completely insane and was commuting over an hour and a half every day to come to this specific school. school. It was the only school um, with an elementary program. And I think a lot of people listening can um, empathize with the fact that you might not live in a place where there is a beautiful, wonderful, idyllic Montessori school and so I had to put my money where my mouth is and my my gas mileage <laughs> where my mouth is and and drive to a beautiful school that we all that's where we all met yeah so Megan and I taught at the same level which is why we ended up you know getting pretty close pretty quickly Rachel and I were not at the same level and it's really easy especially in a campus like that one where um, different levels kind of are contained to different buildings spread around the campus it's easy to get in a little bubble and not really know the other teaching teams as well Um, but I think it was a huge advantage again I had spent that first year subbing so I had met all of the teachers everywhere so I had a little bit of a rapport with everyone and then two or three years into me being there, Rachel came and took over that permanent sub spot. And like she said, they assigned me as her mentor, right? So so we had to interact X amount of times per year, although she totally did not need me. She was like, <laughs> I got this, I'm good. And I know I want to be a toddler teacher. Like it's it's locked down. And I was like, cool, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Hit me up if you need anything. Um, so yeah. And then what really the key though, was, so we all at least knew of each other, but um, we all ended up getting pregnant with our first kids at exactly the same time and realized that we were all due within like two weeks of each other. Wow. And that I think really became yeah. the solidifying factor in our friendship. We started talking just more often. And then you just, even before they were born, Megan and I went on these little pregnancy walks around campus in the morning and we would stop and catch Rachel on the sidewalk and check in with how she was feeling. And just, you know, it was nice to have a little bit of camaraderie going through this huge experience for the first time. And then all of our babies were born, which of course is another huge experience. And then the world shut down with a global pandemic because this was 2020. And so really the little village that we had fostered between ourselves became the only village we had. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was like life-changing, life-saving really to have, to have those two. I say all the time, like, I, I don't know how I would have made it without them. Um, not just because they're amazing humans and friends, but also that Montessori connection really was so important because as we'll talk about, you know, I'm sure at some point later, it's really isolating. So many elements of parenting are isolating. And then when you prescribe to such a specific and a little bit rare of a philosophy, that's even that much more isolating. So having somebody who is going through every single milestone, every single developmental leap at the same time, and thinking about it and approaching it, the same way or at least hoping to achieve the same goals was like incredible right so here we are texting each other constantly around the clock literally because no one's sleeping right everyone has newborns and I was trying to think of like how this really came about and I think the initial roots all stemmed from me becoming obsessed with the show Shark Tank do you guys remember that <laughs> yeah. I would like oh my god I was texting you like every like, night we do this <laughs> Like, we could think of something to keep a pacifier in a sleeping baby's mouth. It might not be legally safe, but we we just, we had oh, all... You had that, hold on, I'm, you, you had that idea where yeah. there was like a band, yeah. like this There's a headband. Not be, not be safe, do not do this, this is not... Uh, this would not be um, approved by any government entity, but it's like a pacifier with like a headband around it to keep it in the mouth. Anyway, we had this like, you know, we all were home with our children or with these new babies and the world was so unsure. And it was like, how do we make sure that we never have to work again? <laughs> Yeah, really. We chose the wrong thing in podcasting, by the way. (laughs) For sure. For sure. But we were definitely trying to figure out, like, how do we become one of these success story mompreneurs, you know, who, like, 
make their own rules and they're their own bosses and that's so cool and eventually that evolved into like okay we're thinking about like what do we have an expertise in like what do we bring to the table and obviously it was being Montessorians and we also are trained Montessorians across a pretty big age gap I mean we go from birth up through 12 and then we also kept talking about how we came to the table with these three really different life experiences. As much as we felt like we had in common, we all were different ages when we started having kids. We all had partners that had different levels of like availability and involvement based on their careers, which really changed our involvement with parenting. You know, So we just kept talking about how we felt like we had so many interesting perspectives to potentially offer. Um, and all the things that made our friendship so super helpful and valuable to each other as new moms. And we just eventually landed on focusing on wanting to share this whole Montessoriing at home aspect. Um, Cause you're not, you know, that's not part of the training and, and how do you bring it home when you're tired and it's the end of the day and you don't have a perfect classroom in a school that's funding all of the materials for you, you know? So like, what does that look like? Um, and how surprisingly difficult can that be? despite all of the idealistic perfect accounts that even we were scrolling past and feeling discouraged by. So we wanted to talk about how to make it accessible. We wanted to talk about how to make it real, how to be honest. And that's when Montessori Moms in the Wild was born. And I think such a huge part of it too was that, was the was the pandemic of us kind of being in that in that bubble and feeling isolated and feeling like other people probably feel like this too. Yeah. And and a big thing that we get back from people a lot, as much as they love to learn about Montessori, they're like, it's just nice to listen to people that feel like friends, like just mom friends, just chatting about kind of cool ways to maybe approach the hard things in parenting. And And so I feel like that was a huge catalyst too, was that idea of community community and being able to bring people together and and bring what what was so valuable to us which was, was each other and bring that kind of feeling of friendship and and community to other people you touched on something Laura that I want to ask any or all of you more about um, what has it been like to educate your partner about Montessori and how much or how little of that did you do um, maybe when you were pregnant or once your first child was here? What has that been like? Um, I think as far as that goes for me, it's, um, I mean, me and Garrett, neither of us were raised obviously through this um, Montessori philosophy. So, but I think I went to I went to college and majored in child development my um, and got a teaching license and then I jumped into and went to Montessori training and infant toddler so I think luckily Garrett has just kind of trusted me and like really was like you are the expert in this and I trust you and we're gonna do it together but you're kind of the leader through this so I think it's been helpful for me because he's like what what do you want me to say in this I mean we like which now we have a full on toddler. So I think we had discussions about it before, but it wasn't really until like now that it's like, okay, what could, he's like, what did I do? What could I have done different when he just laid on the floor and tantrumed for eight minutes or, you know, or how can, what could I have done different in this scenario? But I think he is, he trusts me and I've, it's never been a battle. It's never been like this kind of, he's just like, you're the expert. So I'm following you. And, um, that's something I'm really grateful for. Um, well, family wise, it looks really different. Um, you know, just depending upon his family, maybe doesn't get it as much as, um, my parents are like, you tell us what to do. So that's trickier. I feel like, because sometimes there's some side rolling of eyes, but I think we've both just been like, well, this is what we're choosing to do. And you can go with us or you can just kind of have your own opinion about it. And it is what it is. Yeah, I feel like it's similar for all of us in that this was yeah. our career before we had children. Yeah. So there was Makes this, it kind of easier. Yeah, there was this already kind of set up idea of trust and, you know, like I wouldn't go to my husband's job and tell him what to do and he felt very similarly when we had children of like this is your thing. Like this is what you have done years and years of school 
to learn about and I'm going to trust you. And not just that, but you know, when you are married to someone and you're going through school and you're, you know, learning about all these things, he has to listen to thing like to Montessori stuff at nauseum, like <laughs> before we even had children. And, um, we, we actually have a podcast episode, me and my husband, about kind of his thoughts about about coming to this philosophy and, and how he feels about it. So I won't talk forever. If anyone's interested, you can go look at that episode. But um, but for us, it was really it was really a natural. We just kind of went right into it. But I really do sympathize with people who maybe are just coming to this philosophy because I always have, you know, I'll listen to a podcast and be like, we have to change all of the water filters in our house. And he's like looking at me like, wait, what? (laughs) And so I do sympathize with people who are just coming to this and get excited and have to like sell it to their partner. And, um, and I'm not sure how that would have gone if it had been that way. And so I feel very grateful that we decided to do it this way before we ever had children. Yeah. I think that's a huge point in the fact that we are all very fortunate to have partners that kind of knew going in that this was going to be something that we felt really strongly about. They all had listened to a certain degree for many, many hours about why we love this philosophy. I had already been teaching in a classroom for seven or eight years before my daughter was born. So again, my my husband heard a lot about why it works. Um, I think he, I think I will be really blatantly honest and, and say that I no, don't just sympathize, but empathize with people who whose spouses are kind of like having a hard time and, you know, almost wanting to fight it sometimes because it is so very foreign to the way that he was raised and also the way that I was raised, but especially, especially the way that he was raised. And when, again, when it's your own kid and there's this intense emotional connection and they know how to get under your skin, unlike anybody else. And it's just, you know, just, you have these knee jerk reactions to things. Right. And he all the time wants to, or even starts to react in a way that maybe his father would have reacted to him or the way his, you know, the, the seniors in his life would have treated him. And, and then he immediately feels guilty and, and terrible. Like, Oh God, I did that wrong. You know, like that's not the Montessori way to do it. I'm messing up and, and puts a lot of guilt on himself and just kind of struggles a lot with feeling like he's not getting it right. Especially compared to me, who's like this expert who just knows what to do and inherently has this information. And I have to tell him all the time, like, no, 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 no. I'm all, first of all, I spent all that time at the lower elementary level. This is a toddler that we have, like, this is a whole new ball game. I am, pretty familiar with the concept but the practice is still very new and every day is you know a new challenge for sure I have like a disgusting never-ending well of patience from having been a classroom teacher I think anytime that you've decided that that's what you're going to do with your life like that has to just kind of be a part of your personality Um, but these things all there are really challenging for him. He's not an extremely patient person right off the bat. He doesn't just know kind of the language to default to. He doesn't have good redirecting skills in ways that aren't the way that we would have been redirected as kids, which is usually with not necessarily a natural consequence, but something that, you know, gets a reaction out of them really quickly. And so it has been, it has been a journey. Again, I'm very fortunate he trusts me. And like Rachel said, a lot of times we'll circle back after and he'll say, okay, well, what could I have done differently? And he wants very, very, very much to learn and to, you know, be as comfortable with it as I am, but it doesn't just come easily. And my husband also, he works from home. And so he's here, like if we're, if I'm with her, he's with her, you know, like we're together all the time. So it's, it's also a different dynamic because he doesn't just swoop in at the end of the day or the beginning of the day. And I've already done most of the work. Like he's right there with me trying to learn in the trenches. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been difficult, honestly, if I could say that for him, I think he would say that for himself if we ever recorded our episode together, which we'll get to at some point, guys, don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. So again, I empathize with people out there who are, finding that their spouses obviously love their kids and want to do it a better way than was done for them. But like, this is so different than what so many of us experienced that it's hard. It can feel hard. Yeah. And if I could kind of circle back to what changes in your perspective, 
of Montessori, I feel like it's so much more personal as a parent, that whole idea of the spiritual transformation of the adult is so much more potent as, as a parent, because it's like, it's like Laura said, it's, it's like every piece of you gets kind of Mm -hmm. triggered and comes out in, in parenting, like there's nowhere to hide. (laughs) And (laughs) so it's, it really is a very, um, spiritual experience to have to come into contact with a lot of those feelings and memories and what did Maria Montessori call them? Barriers. Barriers. Yeah. Um, that you might not have had, you would have been able to kind of tuck down (laughs) and not have to really think about, um, because kids have a way of bringing those back up to light and you have to deal with them and you have to choose actively choose to make a different choice when you're tired and you're exhausted and there's a person looking at you who you love with all of your heart. And so I think for us, as we approach Montessori parenting, we realize that it is a deeply, deeply personal and emotional experience to have to parent in this way. I mean, parent in any way, honestly, but especially when you're trying to do it differently. So I think we all have a lot of um, respect for our spouses who've had to just jump into this as much as they did sign up for it. They knew when they married us or at least when, you know, they wanted to have children with us that they had to, you know, jump on the Montessori train. But I think that they are doing the best that they can. So you just hit your one-year podcasting anniversary recently. When when exactly was it? Do you know off the top of your head? January 11th. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So as we're recording just about a month ago, and I'd love to hear what the biggest takeaways have been from your first year of podcasting and have there been any surprises? So, I mean, we really had no idea what we were getting into. I mean, we like literally <laughs> no, I remember so true. <laughs> I remember having a play date one day with um Laura and we were walking up the steps and we were like, let's just do it. We're really gonna do this. Let's order our mics. We found a link and we were like, let's just do this. And I mean, to think we're still here today. I, I sometimes I'm still just like, is this like for real? We're actually, which I'm going to say this, we are becoming an LLC. Like we like are like actually going to be something and like a year later, it's just crazy. So, but to keep it up and to get to dedicate the amount of time and attention it really deserves, um, requires to keep up momentum. It is absolutely like a part-time job for us, um, which all of us have other jobs. (laughs) So I think (laughs) like we had no idea the time commitment. Um, I know um when I was on maternity leave we got to record some in the day and all of us were like oh my gosh like this is glorious to be able to like do this in the daytime because I'm back in the classroom now so that's not possible we record when our kids go to bed (laughs) which is taxing on our bodies too but it's just like this is something we played around with we joked about and now like we're here and we love it and we're so passionate about the philosophy and the way we have chosen to parent um and we're just grateful for this little community we're like shocked that people dm us like people send us direct messages and ask us <laughs> questions and they listen to us like i think all of us are like is like we just need one listener that's all we care about and i'm like, gonna say i feel like the biggest surprise was that anyone listened yeah like that was the biggest shock i remember telling them i was like okay like if there's at least four Right, because there's Laura, there's me, there's Rachel, so that's three listens. If there's at least four, and it's not one of our moms, we're like, doing good. <laughs> we've made it, and so yeah, I think the biggest biggest shock to me has been that people really do want to know more about the Montessori philosophy, and not just in a Pinteresty kind of way. I think when we started this, we thought that we needed to. Um, kind of brush the surface of the philosophy and just kind of offer what we have to know. And we always call our audience a bunch of Montessori nerds because they just want more all the time. And they just want, they want to know 
they want a deeper understanding and they want to be able to apply it to their parenting. And I think that that has been a surprise, but also um, really has kind of kept us going all of this time is to know that, um, that there are people out there who really, really genuinely want to learn more and, yeah, and we've actually been able to really make some cool connections and make some friends. I mean, you and yeah. and, and be able to kind of like be a part of this whole Montessori podcast world, which has been really fun. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I, I love that there is a Montessori podcast world. I know. Um, I know. Yeah, like a that's couple of years ago, true. there were only a few out there. So it's exciting. I know. To see I think I told you when you came on our podcast is that I found your podcast a few years ago or a couple of years ago, whenever you first started. Um, and because I was just like Googling and searching on Apple podcasts of like just Montessori trying to find something and there was nothing and it came across your podcast and and listened to it and felt like they're just they're this deserves like a little corner of of the podcast world because there is room for more people to be talking about this I think a lot of people when they come to Montessori they're like why aren't more people talking about this like why aren't there more schools that are doing this why haven't I heard about this and I feel like um you know the door should be wide open for people to start talking about this because it really it's not about um you know just us sharing our journey but about children being able to have the opportunity to have a child-led experience and to be able to have um a childhood in which they're respected and and their development is respected. And so, yeah, I feel like the more the merrier. If you're listening yeah. and you want to come on and come on in, the water's <laughs> fine. Yes, if you're listening and you want to start a Montessori podcast, we'd love to listen to it. <laughs> People apparently will listen because that's what I was going to say is I was so – I was actually really afraid that the niche was so specific mm-hmm. and the world feels so small, like the Montessori community – you could go to the conferences and stuff and you run into the same yeah. handfuls of people. And so I felt like, oh, is this really going to, like, are we really ever going to pick up real traction here? Um, so the fact that I think, Megan, you just posted in our stories today, we have officially hit like 20,000 listens on on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcast, all the, all the different platforms together, right, combined. And I am just so humbled by that. I just really underestimated the fervor of the Montessori community, but I'm super excited that that is the case. Let's talk just a little bit about languages. I would love to hear if any of you speak a second language and if any of your children are learning a second language. So I I come from a bilingual family um, and come from a town in Central California where the majority of people spoke Spanish. Um, about 80% spoke Spanish and the other 20 was English. And so my dad's family is from Mexico originally and my mom is of 100% European descent. <laughs> so I always kind of felt like an imposter when it came to trying to communicate in Spanish. It was um, very early on in my childhood kind of I I wasn't I wasn't Mexican enough to be able to really explore that. And so I didn't really feel like I had a place, especially when it came to language. And so I, I felt like I really had to like change my, almost my identity when it came to feeling like I could take ownership over my own heritage and my own culture. And that like, I could say like, yeah, this is my, this is my culture. This is this language is a part of my lineage. And um, so I think it was back in 2019, I started to take Spanish lessons, like just as an adult in my late 20s, um, with a tutor from Argentina. And I spent time and money and resources and really jumped into like being able to communicate fluently with other people who speak Spanish. And so it was like a full kind of immersion program where I would, you know, she would call 
we'd talk over Zoom and it, we just would talk in Spanish. And I think it was really transformative for me and like how I see myself. And the biggest part was that I really wanted to be able to kind of heal that part of me to be able to bring that culture to my children and to be able to speak with them without being embarrassed or without feeling like I have no right or that I, um, you know, am not, I'm not in my lane. And so I worked really hard to be able to do that. And so now they are, you know, learning, you know, they're in that sensitive period for language right now. And so we do our best to incorporate books in Spanish and uh, music in Spanish. And, you know, if we watch screen time to do some screen time in Spanish and they have a teacher, so they go to a Montessori school, their assistant teacher is, she speaks Spanish. I'm not sure what, where she's from. Um, so I'm not going to guess, but she, she will speak with them. And so it's really cool to watch them start to pick that up. And, and my hope is that they feel welcomed and that they feel willing to give it a try and to make mistakes. And because I think that's a lot of language learning is being vulnerable and kind of putting yourself out there. And the biggest part of that is me being able to model that and to try to be able to make connections with other people through language, which I think is huge. And we've talked about in the Montessori philosophy, a lot of it is about being a global citizen and being able to be a global citizen is being able to communicate with other people and learn from their experiences and to connect with them. And a huge benefit to learning another language is to be able to communicate with more people. So I'm hoping to be able to give that to them even in a small way, even in an imperfect way. Obviously, I'm not a native speaker and I I don't have, you know, the perfect grammar and um, accent, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best and I think that that's all we can all do is just to show them a respect for other cultures and a respect for language and a respect for our own culture. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of been our experience so far. You just, you hit me right in the feels, Megan. <clears throat> you got me. You got me in the heart because <laughs> you said that one line there about wanting your children to just, you know, jump headfirst into it without feeling any embarrassment or shame about not having it perfectly down. So for me, I was not even introduced to a second language in the, in the um, school district that I grew up in until seventh grade I want to say it was seventh or eighth grade that you had to take like the first half of the year was studying like Latin and Greek roots and then from there you had the option to choose to study either Spanish or French and that was it those were the only two choices I chose Spanish I loved that time with the Latin and Greek roots because I think all of those romance languages are based on exactly that right so you could start to sort of I mean because I enjoy language I could pick out the root of a lot of words and then they just conjugate slightly differently between Italian and French and Spanish and even Portuguese. But I was not a fluent speaker. I didn't live in an area where there was like a community that spoke fluently. The only time I ever practiced was in a classroom and with a textbook and just not the ideal way to learn a language. And so much later after that window that Megan's referring to had really already closed. And it's not to say you can't learn things, but it's considerably more effortful. And I was, you know, a middle schooler, so I wasn't really putting the effort in. And then I got to high school. And again, I was an even worse human being because now I'm a high schooler. And I like, I took AP Spanish classes in the whole nine yards, but I really did the bare minimum. And again, never spoke a word outside of the classroom. Then I moved to the Boston area where I was actually a lot of times the only English speaking person in a circle of people around me. And there were a lot of little communities in the, the town that I lived in that spoke Spanish fluently, even though they had lived in Boston for a long time, they were proud and they held on to that heritage and that culture. And they would come into the place that I worked and speak to me in Spanish and expect, you know, like there was, there was not going to be an English 
connection there. So I had to force myself to use some of the language that I had otherwise sort of like buried. And that was probably my best experience with speaking the the language because I had to, right? So I got pushed out of my comfort zone, but I still had this problem and I still have it to this day. And this is where you hit me in the heart, Megan, is that I pride myself so much on speaking English properly, you know, and like knowing the correct grammar and all of that within my language that I'm painfully aware that I sound like a child in Spanish, right? Like I am not fluent. I am conversational. I could survive. I can for sure survive, but it is like really obvious that I am a white girl who learned Spanish in Vermont, you know, like it just, and it makes me feel so much less than, which is such a shame because I also know for a fact that most people are just so appreciative that you're trying to, like Megan said, make that connection and and communicate with them that I don't think anybody really is looking down on me the way that I'm looking down on myself. But because of all of that, I have really pumped the brakes on pursuing Spanish more seriously. And I actually was not on our convert. I wasn't on the recording where you came on. Um But I think you shared some of your story and I empathized pretty deeply with it that I have a family. Also, my family on my father's side spoke Italian fluently, but not so much to my father and never to me because they were of the generation where they wanted to be American. You know, Mm -hmm. like your kid was supposed to learn English and be American. And it was like embarrassing. It was like a dirty little secret that they spoke Italian at home. So I always felt like that was such a shame that it would have been such a gift to have been given a second language. And I know my dad was sad too, to not really be able to speak it fluently. I mean, he knew all the swear words right? that right. you get yelled <laughs> at by your parents as they're chasing you out of a room, but he certainly couldn't have a conversation in Italian. And so I couldn't either. And Spanish felt like the closest thing that I was, you know, decided to pursue learning in middle school. But like I said, then I got hung up in my head about not being able to do it perfectly and blah, blah, blah. And so now I do feel extremely strongly about wanting that gift for my children. I want them to be at least bilingual, if not more. And so even though I sound like a total, you know, imposter in my head, I am happy to practice Spanish words with my toddler who has a a, a toddler. There's a Spanish teacher in our Montessori school who comes around to the classrooms. And my daughter now will sit with her toys and sort her magnet tiles into grande y pequeño, grande y pequeño. And today we're driving home and she was counting to 10 in Spanish. And she asked, mommy, how do you say neighborhood in German? Because my husband had counted to five with her in German (laughs) one day. Um, And just she's like, she's interested in it. She's excited about it. And that means the world to me because I like, again, like Megan said, there's a window right now for it to be easier for her to just absorb it. And so I really need to be exposing her to more. I don't feel like I'm doing enough, but it is something I feel really strongly about giving to my kids that was not necessarily given to me. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I don't have um, a background at all other than classes and such. But my husband, um, he actually minored in Spanish in college, so he's pretty fluent Um and we obviously don't converse, but, um, to see my son, like he is in Spanish at school and he's singing the songs, just like, just like Laura just said, grande pequeño. I mean, he's like all in and it's fun just to see kind of, and Garrett be able to kind of foster that more. And I know we're in that window, so it's fun just to see him so in it too. Like I would want nothing more for him to be bilingual. So, Yeah. That's awesome. One thing that I was thinking, um, Megan and Laura, when you were talking about kind of feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome speaking in Spanish, um, I think that it's so beautiful to show and model for your child what it looks like to be a language learner. You know, so I don't think that, of course, in all aspects of parenting, there is no such thing as perfection, but it also extends to speaking a second language. And so children can look at an adult learning a language and looking up words and struggling to form a sentence and that's okay. And then they can see that Mm -hmm. adults have resilience too and nobody's perfect. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing too. 
Yeah. And I feel like too, being able to have that understanding of how hard it is to, to try and how hard it is to not be able to communicate what you'd like to communicate and, and to have that empathy for other people who maybe come to the United States and maybe they Mm -hmm. are struggling and not seeing them as less than and not seeing them as unintelligent, but that, you know, we all have our mother tongue and that it's actually very brave. And it's actually like, I just, especially going through this language journey that I have been on am am going through my training right now. And about half of the, of the women in my cohort are second, their English is their second language. And I, and whenever they kind of fumble over grammar stuff when we're doing, you know, language or if they stumble over math terminology and they get frustrated, all I can think of is how are you even in this course? I speak fluent English. I am a native English speaker and this is hard for me. <laughs> and and so I think that it it creates a lot of respect for each other when you see other people who are like they're just doing it they're here and they're learning and they're not afraid to make mistakes and and I think it creates a lot more a lot more empathy and respect for other people who come here and are learning English also so I want to I want to be able for them to experience that so that they also have that empathy for others yeah yeah, I think that's such a good point. Uh, my training program was like that too. I did my training in London and I think out of 22 or 23 of us, maybe six of us were native English speakers and it was amazing. I mean, the language section of children's house training was hard even for the native English speakers to get all of those vowel sounds and phonograms exactly right. And it was it was really amazing. Sentence I admired analysis them so much. As a second English, right. like, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what advice can you share for parents who are interested in incorporating Montessori into their home and their daily routine? So I didn't pre-think about this, so this is just going to be fully off the cuff, but I think Love that it. my biggest advice would be to stop scrolling to stop comparing and to kind of find a source. Listen to Montessori Moms in the Wild. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my best advice, advice <laughs> is my <laughs> podcast. is <laughs> to find a resource that, um, that you connect with and that is going to provide you with good information because I feel like it's easy to fall down the scrolling hole and the comparison hole and to feel like you need to buy all the things and that you need to, you know, you see someone doing something so then you go off and do it or you see that Pinterest board and now you need to recreate it and then you just kind of feel like you're spinning your wheels constantly. And I feel like my biggest advice would be to to find a resource that you trust and follow your child, you know, is to, is to do that work on yourself and really focus on meeting their needs and learning about child development instead of trying to recreate beautiful social media videos and social media posts. I think that Mm. that is my, that's my biggest advice. 100%. I think that, find a resource that you trust and that makes sense to you. I would say, I, I, I won't say to necessarily go read like Maria's text itself because it can be pretty heady and heavy. It's mm-hmm. translated from Italian. I mean, you have to really have a passion going in, I think, to be able to get through some of her books, but there are so many other contemporary versions of Mont- like Montessori today um, by more recent authors. And I think the important part is to find those things and to read about the major goals of the philosophy. We've hit on some of them, respect, following the child, letting it be a child-led experience, how to do that without it meaning that your kid runs the show per se, how to have freedom within a framework. You know, like those are the bigger overarching themes that are so much more important to be incorporating in your home. 
I mean, like I said earlier, we are three trained guides with years of experience and we ourselves can get stuck Googling and scrolling and getting really, really discouraged by these absolutely perfect depictions of Montessori life at home. And and then we find ourselves thinking, yeah, that's not me. Like, I'll never be able to do this. So I can imagine being completely foreign to the concept, having that same experience and thinking this absolutely is just not me. It's not for me. And I think that's such a shame because there's this huge lack of understanding that Montessori was never about these picture perfect spaces and these trendy color schemes and these adorable themed units for every month of the year. No, it's not. It is so much more profound and also so much more simple than that at the same time. And and I think without being able to have a space or a voice or an account out there that reminds you of that, it's easy to get discouraged and want to throw in the towel. So if you can find something out there that makes you feel like, oh, that's the most important part of what I'm doing. And it has nothing to do with the shelf work or any of the stuff I'm scrolling past on a regular basis. It's not the buzzwords and the quotes that grab your attention and the never say no and all of these other things that are feeling like they're in our faces all the time. If you can find a good resource to get down to what is really important in this philosophy, then I think you'll find that you can do this. You totally can do this. Yeah. And once you find that resource, once you really are like, oh, I, I, you're grasping it, you're understanding it, um, give yourself grace with it. Like, like we've all said throughout this episode, we are moms and it's hard. It's hard being a parent, right? So it's hard being a parent, especially when you're, you know, you're really focused in on the specific way that you want a parent. Um, especially when like, you're like, oh, you're excited about it. You, you know exactly what you want to do. You want to do right for your child. You want to respect that child. You want to follow that child, but there's real life. So I think in that too, give yourself grace as you navigate and figure out how you can um, kind of implement the philosophy and parent through the lens of a Montessorian. I think you have to find your why. You have to find why it would be important to you to to live this way, to parent this way, because of exactly what Megan said earlier, that this is, if, unless you were raised in this philosophy, if it's as foreign to you as it was to us, it's going to force you to face some of your own demons. Yeah. And that's hard, especially when you are tired and it is the end of the day and you are frustrated and there's another meltdown. It is another sleep regression. It is another, literally the list goes on. But if you can find your why, which will allow you to come back to it and stand firmly in it when you're in a room full of people who are giving you side eyes, like Rachel said, you know, like there's just, there's going to be so many obstacles and you're going to be the biggest one, ironically. Um, So find your why and find a resource that helps you to remember the most important parts of the philosophy. We call that a mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to say anything after that. Well, thank you all so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time on an evening while your children are sleeping. I appreciate it. And this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank Thank you you for having us. So fun. Thanks again to Laura, Megan, and Rachel for joining me for today's episode. You can find the Montessori Moms in the Wild podcast on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild, and you can find new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and on my website at multilingualmontessori.org. You can find links to everything in the episode description. Make sure you're subscribed to the Multilingual Montessori podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on whatever app you're listening through. It helps more people find the show, and I really do read every single one. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time. Thank you.